Jersey is the world. Hi everybody, Chris Gathered here. Welcome to New Jersey is the world. Uh, I've been traveling a lot lately. It's, it's funny, I, I had a stretch where I was trying not to travel for work and then all of a sudden I had to go to uh, Vancouver and then California. California was for, some of it was for my nonprofit job and then some of it was I was just going to a friend's wedding. So that's okay. But point being, the past two weeks have been kind of crazy. I've been in and out. And Mike D said, maybe this is a chance without Chris here to let some of the people who love this show in behind the curtain. Specifically, on a character they've all come to know and love. The man, the myth, the Bonaduce. Who is he really? Sometimes I think I know, because I've known him since I was 13 years old. And then other times I realize... Maybe I know nothing at all. In a very investigative, James Lipton-esque fashion, Mike D now answers that question for all of us. Who's the real Bob Welcome to New Jersey is the world. You're probably expecting Chris Gethard, which is a, which is a good expectation because 99% of the time that you listen to this podcast, he is the first person that does appear, uh, appear in your headphones or in your audio feed. But sorry to disappoint you. It's me, Mike D. And I do understand why that can be disappointing because, right, I'm here with Bonaduce and Chris is famous. That's why people come to the show. And the only qualifications that we have to be on the show are that we are old friends of Chris, which is actually a very thin qualification to base the entire <laughs> podcast series on. But here we are. But we, we are here with a very, very special episode this evening. A lot of people have, have asked for this. This is probably, after saying do more episodes about the Jersey Devil, the second most common thing people have asked us, which is, who is the real Bonaduce? We need to have an in-depth, intimate conversation with, oh, with Nikki Bonaduce. And tonight will be that night that this happens. How are you feeling, Nick? I'm feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty good. Uh, it's terrifying that people want to know that much about me. They're, they're maybe just making me uh, feel good. But um, yeah, this should be interesting, especially with Mike D fucking asking the fucking hard questions here. It's going to be like a 60 minutes fucking, you know. <laughs> so, so somebody's going to break in in the middle of it with an emergency news bulletin. That's something Barbara Walters is going to come in. Barbara Walters is sitting on my armchair right now, staring into my eyes. Barbara Walters believes she's not with us anymore. I don't know. She looked like hell the last time I saw her. Hmm, not sure. Anyway, it's not good to, to talk check. about the dead, even if they're not dead yet. Or the or the living <laughs> as if they are dead. <laughs> Neither one of those is good. Yeah, the dead only one, one thing. It's better to be alive. So let's kick this off. Okay. Early inspirations. Looking back at your early life, pre-podcast fame, pre-Bonaduce, what experiences, what individuals would you say planted the seeds for the path that you've ultimately followed? Holy hell. Uh, I have no control. I have no idea how to even answer that. Uh, the people who are responsible for that, uh, probably my family members uh, and all the different crazy experiences I had growing up being a Greek-American kid in uh, West Orange. Friends, family, grandparents. And then uh, second to family was probably our friends. And, uh, and that's, you know. Guess that's what makes you up but what planted the seed for where i am now who the fuck knows it's like this unhinged fucking trail we've been on you know 
It's on hinge train train track to hell and back. Is but you know, even if you can't pinpoint one thing out of that, is there a is there a defining <laughs> moment in your childhood that you consider a turning point? Like a point in your not even child, maybe even up into early adulthood. Was there something a specific thing that happened that set the course for everything that followed. Uh, I know probably, uh, probably going from being like really shy to like, um, I don't know, not being afraid to fucking really step out of my comfort zone and, and, um, I guess make a stand for yourself sort of in a way, not that we were pushovers when we were kids, but I think probably by the time we got to like high school, I was always able to navigate kind of in the background. And then, um, as I got older and, you know, was starting to develop into a young man. It just felt like, uh, you know, we talked about in the show, our friendships all kind of helped us come become who we were. But when I was with all of you guys and, and, uh, everything, I guess you guys kind of made me become who I, who I wanted to be or, you know, or was, was never before, you know, not being afraid of anything anymore, not being afraid to get punched in the face, not being afraid for, you know, that kind of thing. I think that was, I don't know, probably age 14. <laughs> <laughs> that's the turning point year where everything happens right yeah it feels it feels like i never really think about that but yeah this is turning into like a terrible therapy session <laughs> with <Dr>. no. Dolan. <laughs> come on these are these are these are open-ended well questions. it's hard it's hard it's like you're talking I'm, I'm thinking like you know when when what was the turning point for nikki bonaduce or you know when did nikki bonaduce um well you talked about his origin story and um, that was all happening at the same time. Bonaduce was my alternate uh, personality or ego that allowed me to, um, I don't know, have have no fucking fear to like put Nick Franco's away. Bonaduce is out. Like we're gonna fucking get shit done. We're gonna fuck motherfuckers up and don't get in our way. Like that was that was it. it, it it's funny when you said Bonaduce because. I think at this point we've done so many episodes of this podcast that I think there's probably a huge chunk of listeners that don't know the Bonaduce origin story. Actually, oh god! Right? I mean, that <laughs> at this point, I don't, I don't know that we've talked about that in since the very beginning. At this point, I think there's like, yeah, ago. the beginning when yeah. those, yeah, I guess I forgot three years ago. Anyway, yeah, so. <laughs> should we should we repeat the Bonaduce origin story for? People? Oh God, that's that's a hard. I mean, yeah, I guess so. It's you know, he was too well. Uh, here's to Lou, Louis Gumbats of fucking Livingston, New Jersey. So defunct twenty four year old graduated. You, you, were, you were given that nickname <laughs> yes. when when the two of us worked at a at a YMCA summer camp for several summers to, in Livingston, New Jersey, when we were in high school. And one of the sort of older counselors, right? I, they were probably early twenties, college age. Yeah, right? he was. He was my sister's age, and we were like, I guess we were eighteen, uh, seventeen, eighteen. So he was just out of college, I believe. So he was like twenty one, twenty two years old. And th the whole summer that we worked there, he just insisted on calling you Nikki Bonaducci because he thought that you were Italian and not Greek. Oh yeah. And finally you became hey. so you became so fed up <laughs> with him doing that that you basically confronted him and scared put put the fear of God into that that older man. And like he was he was 5 years older than us. He was, you know, poor guy had just gotten out of college, probably graduated, didn't have a fucking job. He like 
or he, got, he was a gym teacher in Livingston. It's like the ultimate fucking best job you could probably have. In the summertime, he's still doing the same job that he did with my sister like 10 years ago when they were in high school. Like Anyway, so yeah, that's how that, that all started. But then the worst part of it was, and like this is this is what makes any nickname really a fucking nickname, is that you hate it and your friends won't fucking stop calling you it. And that was the thing that like I think at one point it actually like had caused a rift in Mike D and our uh, like friendship. <laughs> I was so I don't know why this like bothered me so much but at the same time you know what now now we're like talking about that was all like I guess the catalyst for for that just that fucking raid like I'm not taking shit from anybody anymore I don't know you know what I mean it was developing like god it was so fucking terrible then I just fucking embraced it I became Nicky Bonaduce and Nicky Bonaduce was like you know did whatever he wanted to do and he still does what he wants to do sometimes (laughs) <laughs> Coming up on 25 years of Bonaduce. That's fucking terrifying. When when you're thinking of anything new, so a project, a hobby, mm. something you want to try, how do you how do you approach the creation of a new project? Do you have like rituals, habits? Like what are the kind of things you do when you want to get something new started in your life? Uh, God, I don't know. Um <laughs> I'm often so preoccupied by uh, my occupation. I know that sounds weird, but like it's kind of, it can become consuming. So I do have to make, um, I've been in going and developing in my profession, uh, how to develop, <laughs> how to leave the job, uh, both mentally and physically and, uh, be at peace with yourself. Um, one of those things has been, especially post divorce, uh, and even through my marriage, like that I moved to Southern Ocean County was on the border of both, both the, the Pinelands and the Pine Barrens right there. And then also having the bay, you know, a mile from my house and, and uh, finding that even though I'm Greek and I know I've always grown up in, in the water and swimming and stuff like that, like being by the water has been like a big thing for me. So even if um, I, I do whatever I can to be close to the water because I find it's something that like. I find uh, I, I I feel like I get a lot of power from it, and I also get a but it's like it gives me the ability to relax and to like kind of like put things in perspective. Like I I think spatially, like I visualize myself in uh, different um, places when I'm working. I, my perspective is like you know almost thinking like if you were a sniper or something, being up high, having the best overall like spatial like spatial awareness is a big thing. So. When I'm able to go to the ocean and just like look out and it's flat or if it's raging or whatever and just like kind of really just step back and be like, all right, motherfucker, you know, you're on the edge of land and sea, these two energy sources surging together and, um, you know, maybe put, put your, you know, not that I'm, I'm no, just put, put things in perspective, I guess. So for me, that's a big thing. Uh, also cruising on uh, the beach cruise has always been big. I uh, swimming. Swimming's big. Like anything with the water is really big, but also fire. Yes. Confirm this. <laughs> fire is also very soothing. I, I, I really enjoy staring into a fire and or making gigantic fires. Uh, that's all going back to my Boy Scout fucking days too. And being per- Do you remember your first fire? <laughs> like, do you remember the like, first time that you lit your own fire unsupervised and you thought, yeah, uh, I'm into fire? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. I was, I was actively like, you know, doing being a mischievous child and playing with matches and stuff like that. Um, but when I finally harnessed the ability to like 
make fire. And I remember like, <laughs> it sounds like so stupid, but like in Boy Scouts really did teach me a lot about fire building and a lot of other things in life, but like a lot of survival things that like, you know, intrigued me as a kid. Yeah, that was, that was a good thing. I don't know what Boy Scouts is like now, but I had a great experience in Boy Scouts. Um, making fire is definitely one of the greatest skills I learned there. Um, and uh, I, I, yeah, I don't know what Boy Scouts are like, but I can confirm that currently Girl Scouts do teach all those things. Like that's good. That's awesome. Fire lighting, knot tying. Yeah, learning all about different digging a latrine, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's. I think that's important for everybody to know. But um, yeah, that's probably what started my first. Uh, I remember doing my first fire and having to cook on it once, and I think I was only in. I think it was like fourth or fifth grade. And it was like this, you had to go do it by yourself. And I was like, all right. So those were all these things that were leading up to me. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I was always doing the right thing when I was a kid. Then I met Mike D. <laughs> it's always me. It's always Mike D. Always the scapegoat. I'm good at that. I'm an excellent yeah, scapegoat. Yeah. So yeah, through, throughout your career, you've, you've undoubtedly faced challenges and setbacks. Can you discuss a particularly difficult period and how you navigated that? <laughs> I could, but I don't know if I will. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess uh, life has all its struggles in many different ways. Um, you know, everybody has their own path and you make decisions in life and there's uh, actions and you take actions and there's consequences and hopefully you can grow from whatever happens and 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 become a better person. And develop, and I think I've definitely been uh, definitely making like major efforts over the past several years um, to do that. And it's hard; every day is a struggle. Um, people can be difficult. Um, some people don't want to change. Uh, some people do. Some people can forgive. Some people can't. Um, life's not always fair. <laughs> and uh, what else? You're not owed anything. Remember that. You're not fucking owed anything. That should be the New Jersey motto, actually. <laughs> New Jersey, you're not owed anything. Pretty much. <laughs> That's kind of perfect. Two, yeah, you're not owed anything. Except New Jersey, the you we will don't owe you taxes. anything state. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to New Jersey. We don't owe you anything. <laughs> That's a new bumper sticker. That's perfect. That would be great. Yeah, no, I, I, I guess in, in regards to what I'm like talking about, um, going through the divorce and dealing with that when, um, you know, and then everybody, anybody who started listening from the beginning knows that like, this is probably one of the things that like kind of sort of, these guys are able to keep tabs on me and, um, as usual, you know, working crazy hours and trying to manage life and family and, or the, you know, your family flowing apart and adjusting to a nice new lifestyle and, you know, keeping yourself sane and, and everything that happens in between and, you know, on top of all your regular responsibilities and family and, and all that. My father had passed away several, like a year before the divorce. So it was probably better he was dead for that because uh, that would have killed him. Um, but, you know, that's I I don't know. I, I don't know. It's just uh, it's one of those things. It's I you hate to say that it was a good thing. Um, you know, but everything happens for a reason and you, you know, people grow as they, 
as they age and you're not always the same person you are when you're 20 years old as you are when you're 40 something years old. So no, you're not the same person you were 20 minutes ago. (laughs) That's mm. (laughs) no, but that's, I think guess that's been the biggest, um, biggest life event probably that I had to deal with, um, can deal with death. I have a great perspective on death. Um, good, evil, everything else. Um, if you listen to me, I am a spiritual person. Um, um, and that's because of experiences I've had in my life. Um, and that, that a lot of that faith has really kind of helped me a lot in the past few years. And it, it probably came back out in me and, and all that. So I, I try to be a, a more sensitive, understanding person. And, and I believe in forgiveness and, you know, and that's it, man. It's life is not fucking easy, brother and sisters and everybody else. I mean, nope. That's why we have a podcast. Because <laughs> we don't owe you anything. We don't. <laughs> Welcome to New Jersey. We don't owe you anything. I think that's going to become a thing. I hope it does. There's a, a couple. We've had a couple things become things, right? Um, Doesn't make him a bad guy, as you can tell by the the number of news articles which appear on a weekly basis, which are essentially just word for word transcriptions of our show. But. <laughs> <laughs> That's but insane, I, man. It is insane, but it, it's it's happened so many times at this point that it can no longer be written off as coincidence. So to do something. Oh, should should I make this interview extra fucking spectacularly weird then? And uh, <laughs> we'll get really. Well, you want to you want to get into the fucking meat and potatoes, Nikki Bonaduce, motherfucker? Yeah, let's get into it. When that's it. When people look back <sighs> at the life of Nikki Bonaduce, <laughs> what do you Christ. hope they understand about you as a person? I was a very complex uh, individual. Um, <laughs> not just some maniac. <laughs> no, I don't think no one thinks no. you're a maniac. No, I, I just um I I hope that I was a good citizen in life. Uh I hope that I was kind and courteous to other people. Um um and be good to your fellow man. I mean that's it, right? Have bottom line it's all about love, right? It is. Love is the love is the message, right? <laughs> that's it, man. It's all about love. But I guess that's it. Yeah, it's in a nutshell. Mike, see what what kind what influence do you think you've had on Nikki Bonaduce and or and or the path of? Uh, I I like to think that because we've been friends, if I've had any influence, I think that I've probably just like introduce you into different kinds of like scenes of groups of you know groups of people that you very quickly became a part of you know that's all oh yeah definitely definitely open a lot of interests uh for me that like i may or may not you know probably wouldn't have found out on my own for sure but like you know i'm a curious wanderer and uh and you're easy to fucking be around man so we always have a good time where we are and we always make friends we do. We rarely, we, do. we rarely, we occasionally make enemies. We almost always do. <laughs> That's a short list though. Yeah, it's a short list. We've handful of enemies these days. It's a very small <laughs> list. Very small select uh, group. Yeah, we don't, we don't keep a, a written enemies list anymore. It's been, it's been a long time. I don't want to, I don't want to carry that around. How do you define success outside of your career? Outside of work? How do you define success? Jeez. Um, being, uh, for me, let's see, I'll say 
success is, um, you know, it's easy to say just being happy. Um, being able to feel worry free is like a feeling. Cause I spent a long time, a lot of, a long, many years worrying a lot about stuff that probably doesn't really matter. And sometimes it's still hard to figure out what does and doesn't really matter. But, um, to not let worry control my life has probably been a big thing. Um, I forgot the original question. You gotta, you that. <laughs> That's all right. That's what, you know. Oh, so for success, yeah. I'm sorry, success uh, outside of my profession. Um, uh, having a close connection with my children, um, that would be, <clears throat> that would make me feel, you know, good with my, with my family members. I'm trying to keep, you know, keep open communications with everybody. That that's success, right? I mean, that's being happy, living your life, not living in fear. Um, all those things, feeling free, and um, I don't know, being being yourself and being honest with yourself. Those are all things that make me feel like I'm successful in my life. Being being carefree in in the most positive way. That's a good one. Being worried free is being worried free is a big one, right? Not having a sweat is a nice, a nice place to be. And it's hard sometimes. Yeah, it is hard. I mean, we're, we're, we're even things that are actually worth worrying about. There's plenty of those, <laughs> but I think we also like live in a, in a, in a state, in a society where we are bombarded with like other people's worries too. <laughs> things oh yeah. No control. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we don't want to hear other people's worries because we don't owe you anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be my answer. To don't, don't worry about it because we don't owe you anything. We don't owe you anything. That's going to be my answer to every question now. <laughs> well, Mr. D, you know, what? <laughs> we don't owe you anything. Get out of the room. We don't owe nothing. Go to the bank, the mortgage company. <laughs> we don't owe you anything. <laughs> Prove it. What's something about your profession that that is misunderstood by people? Because your job has come up a lot on this show. You do build the infrastructure of New Jersey. This is a fact, complete facts. Yeah, it is terrifying. I was talking to one of my friends about it today, and because uh, we just keep on getting stuck on these fucking big projects, and and we're just realizing that the the knowledge base and the skill set has kind of been shrinking, and. Um, the growth of the profession has not kept kept pace with it, and it's it's like coming to a head now. So, um, what do I think about? You should explain your job for for new listeners. listeners who don't know. Oh, explain my job. Oh, biggest misconception. Okay, so I work. First, uh, work just in case they don't know. Yeah, I work as a land surveyor, crew chief. I run a one man robotic survey crew. Uh, my specialty is uh, heavy construction, which just means like um, road. Bridge, infrastructure, underground utilities, pipelines, fucking power lines, like you fucking name it, concrete buildings, steel buildings, York Airport, um, pile work, piles on the ground, concrete footings, like I do every kind of concrete construction you can imagine, um, build bridges, do bridge reconstruction, build new bridges, build train bridges, um, uh, very diversified. I did. I worked in the private sector for several years, um, which I enjoyed. But this is just something else that, like, completely, like, why, why I wound up here or how I wound up here, I never would have guessed in a million years. But I, as much as this job can torment you, I can't imagine doing anything else at this point in my life. Like, and that's fucking crazy. But like, 
you know, sometimes do I want to jump off the fucking bridge? Yes. <laughs> you're, you're like, oh, all right, I'm on top of this bridge. My fucking phone's ringing. The goddamn fucking train's going by. I'm staring at a fucking PDF on my fucking phone because nobody uses paper prints anymore. It's fucking raining. My batteries are fucking dying. The wind is blowing 20 miles an hour and like, don't fuck this up. Or like, it's going to cost like $200,000 to fucking fix and your company is going to get back charged. That's every minute of every fucking day. What about work? And being able to fucking handle that like has made me <laughs> maybe a different kind of person now. But so um, basically I have to put things like really precisely where they belong in many different environments and scenarios and and uh, it can be taxing and and you can't be wrong, so it sucks. So I guess for a long time, I think I was maybe a bit of a control freak in regards to that, but that's because I kind of have to be. But I've learned how to. Um, I've grown. I've grown professionally since the major, since since the since my divorce. How I've developed professionally and how I um, how I relate to people, even under the most stressful conditions, has definitely like. Um, definitely been impacted greatly, like in a, in a positive way. I was carrying, I carried around a lot of anger. I tell people this all the time. I carried around a lot of anger for many years, and my outlet was the workplace because I could get away with it because I was as good as I was. You know what I mean? You know, you can't. Like, can you go to your job and like motherfuck the super in front of an entire crew? I definitely can't. <laughs> I don't have work for me. <laughs> like, it's like, you know what I mean? Like. I'm like calling you the worst fucking things you could ever imagine in the world. Like that behavior is not like correct. And why was I doing that? Like, you know, I've gone back. I, this is like, it's terrible now, but like, this has been a thing for me for like the past probably three years. Cause I started therapy as soon as I was separated. And, um, and I was doing it before then too, when I had weight loss surgery like 10 years ago. So, um, I had, I'd always been working on myself and whatever, but, uh, yes, that's a terrible thing to be fucking that mad all the time. Was there a, like a specific point where you decided that you didn't want to be angry anymore? Yeah. Yeah. I was, it was like, it was honestly, it was probably like two days after my 14th anniversary when I went through initial, like, you know, being really angry and stuff like that. And finally I just had this like, kind of just like epiphany. Like, I don't know. It's like, well, like the worst thing that I thought could have happened, happened. I'm still alive. I still have a job. I still have my kids. You know, I still have my friends. Um, you know, I know that was just like, why am I? I was angry because I was so miserable. You know, I accepted the fact that I was going to be miserable for the rest of my life. I tell people that. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah. So when you get to the point where you say to yourself, I've accepted the fact that I'm going to be miserable for the rest of my life. And I can tell you exactly where that happened on the New Jersey Parkway. On the, on the Garden State Parkway. <laughs> should put like a little marker there. Like we should drive up there. And there is a marker there. On this spot. <laughs> there is a marker there. <laughs> uh, no, I don't. This is, uh, this is like really strange. This is like strange for me, man. What? This? Um, yeah, this format. Not that it's strange. I don't know. I mean, we talk all the time. Like, you know what I mean? We always fucking... You're like probably one of the only people I, I talk to. And like, I think I'm pretty, I'm being pretty authentic, um, you know, because I think in a, in a big way, it helps me like a lot. You know what I mean? It helps me um, whether nobody listens or anything. I don't care, but it's like I can, 
I can say with a clean conscience now, like, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes over the past few years, you know, and I've made a lot of good things happen in my life too. And, uh, you know, it's not always all one way. And yes, of course I have regrets. Um, but ultimately I try to be the best person that I can and, um, and love everyone around me and always try to let people know that, um, if I did hurt anybody that I apologize for it and, you know, that's uh, that's all I can say about who I am right now. I just lay, I just lay it all on the line every day. I still wear my heart on my sleeve. Um, I try to surround myself with genuine people, um, and everybody makes mistakes. And you know, and life goes on. <laughs> life goes on. That's it. There you wake up, your alarm's going off the next fucking morning. You're like, oh god, I gotta do this again. One summer, one spring coming soon, hopefully. <laughs> been a long winter i don't yeah i don't know what people think of what i do I, it's just weird it's not a normal fucking job even like within my industry like what i do all the people that surveyors are like fucking crazy they're like lunatics they're like i don't know i might be more so than others but like everybody's defective that's a surveyor i mean i think the average person that's just a fact the average person driving on the parkway or the turnpike doesn't even know your job exists yeah. No, but most, yeah. That's they all a, think I look at a camera all the time. They're like, what right. are you guys looking through? And then a camera, I was like, just people. <laughs> I said, I used to conduct, I, I used to do these uh, surveys at um, like Walmart where we'd have to map like everything. Every time they built a new like Walmart, they call them an Alta, an Alta survey. You have to shoot everything the fucking curbs, the stripes, the fucking top of the building, utility lines. It's a fucking nightmare. So, a lot of times you're in like weird places in the middle of the parking lot. So I'm at the center. I'm like at the entrance, like on an island and I have the instrument set up. And like, this is back when you still had like two man crews or three man crews. And I'm an instrument man. I'd work myself to instrument man. And I'm standing there behind there. And there's like a lot of like, he'll be like paying attention to where my chief is walking around with his, with his uh, survey rod. And uh, you know, there'll be people all around. They're like, Oh, are you are you from the news? And I'll be like, Yeah, I'm from the news. They're like, They're like, Yeah, we're uh, Channel Twelve. They're like, Well, what are you doing here today? It's like we're out here outside of Walmart. It's a new Walmart. What do you think about the new Walmart Supercenter here in Rockaway? And it's like, I think it's fantastic. So like, all these people are like coming around, and my and my survey crew chief have been working with it for like two weeks. He's like, Welcome over. He's like, The fuck are you doing? I was like, Hey man. I was like, Don't talk like that. I was like, You're on camera right now. I was like, This is New, new Jersey. 12 news and he's like he's like that's not a camera they're like what are you talking about and like this turns into this like mob at like the walmart outside walmart like security comes out they're like what are you doing here like i was like he's filming people here i was like i'm not filming people i'm a surveyor and they're like so my chief is just like that's it and he's like he's like boxing up we're leaving <laughs> there are a lot of weird uh weird situations like that with them. that's an insane situation that a mob of people for no that's always like that's uh, every I've had the most, like, you talk about, like, we were kids and we got into, like, a lot of weird shit. If there was ever a profession that, like, my childhood prepared me for, like, being in strange situations with strangers, like, sneaking up on you, or I told you that guy came up behind me and he had his gi on in the middle of the street. Yes. And I had the instruments set up, and, like, I was like, what are you going to do? Like, fucking beat me up karate style with your fucking gi on? Like, I'm standing in the street doing, like, a survey. Like, whatever police bears all kinds of shit like i've seen you know 
homeless people living in power line easements, like with villages built in like Sussex County. It's like all, all kinds of crazy shit. An adult man, though, putting on a, gi, a karate outfit and coming out to threaten another adult stranger has got to be one of the greatest. And like, dude, do you remember back then? Have. That was like probably 2004, 2005. I was like big as a fucking house then. Yeah. I mean, it was like 300 and some fucking pounds. That was a big motherfucker, you know? I was like, I could have just fucking rolled on somebody and just fucking pinned them, you know? Like, you weren't getting out from the Bonaduce at that point. <laughs> Crushed by Bonaduce. I guess it does. You have to go into all these weird situations just to get the job done. And you're like, there's people yeah. lurking, lurking yeah. all over, over the place, you know? I think that's a good point because that also, Bonaduce has helped several times in that situation also. <laughs> Coming out and, uh, you know, I'm in the middle of the woods. There's a fucking bear. And my buddy's going to get eaten. Like, God, we have all kinds of fun. It's, it is a great job. If you are if you have a child that's in, interested in geography or anything like that, make sure you tell them about becoming a surveyor, an action-packed, um, good-paying job. Good union job. And if you have any skills as a surveyor, reach out to me because you can probably get into the union right now pretty easy. Is it that... Uh- so there's a, a yeah. severe shortage of, of surveyors in your industry. There's like a severe deficit. Like I'm working, I work with somebody right now who um, had a friend who was a surveyor. The guy had just gotten a book and was working with somebody. He called him up on days like, yeah, it's like my buddy called me up. He said, uh, they asked him if he knew any, any serve anybody who like surveyed. And he's like, oh yeah, my buddy. And he's like, so he called him up. I was like, that's how you got it. He's like, yeah. I was like, Pfft. <laughs> The guy went from making like, you know, whatever, 20 something bucks an hour to like fucking union money and like thrown onto like, but it's a tough, it's a tough environment to jump into it. And, um, the big, big learning curve, it's not for everybody, but it is, if you like action packed, uh, work environments and being outside all the time, you'll love being a surveyor. You do get to see every part of New Jersey. You do. And it's also like. It's good being a surveyor on a on a construction job because um, you get a lot of executive privileges. Like, um, you know, I mean, as as far as like leeway would come and go, and you have to be in so many different places, that kind of thing. So, um, knowing the workflow, and you you know, you can be slammed sometimes, but other times you can have a little bit of time to yourself and maybe go actually have like a a real meal and sit down for like twenty minutes. But uh, what's the weirdest place? that you've been sent to do a survey oh, a place that just makes no sense that someone would even want a survey of it. Uh, so, you know, well, I mean a lot of, a lot of places I know where I'm going because they're whatever, but when you're there and nothing is started yet and you're like, Oh God, this is like fucking terrible. Um, so many, pla- Oh God. One of the worst places I was recently was that Salem nuke plant. That was just like, ugh. I mean, it was. I mean, it was cool. It was beautiful down there. It's a beautiful part of New Jersey. We talked about that before, but um, in the plan itself, or what we were doing, like for um, for building that infrastructure there, and like oh, you were in these fragmites. They were like fifteen feet high, and like oh, mosquitoes the size of like you're like, what am I doing out here? Like it's terrible. But now I don't train bridges in the middle of the night. Um, I don't know. There's so many strange places. Yeah. God, <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of um, super fun sites that did that for a year for several years. That was terrible. That's always terrible work. Uh, 
weird places every every place is weird i mean where i am now is weird i'm on the old boot line out there um geez yeah anywhere there's large infrastructure and a lot of times like you know you'll be on the road you once you go underneath it, it's like a different world so that's that kind of is strange and interesting well underneath bridges is a whole other world oh yeah for sure there's like a whole especially like on the job we're on now there's we're building a new bridge but next to it is the turnpike bridge and um there's like a whole, I mean, forget about the park and stuff like that, but there's a lot of people like um, bow fishing. Um, with bow and arrows. There's a lot of, yeah, with like bow and arrows. And it's, it's a, it's a really interesting area. Like a lot of, there's a, there's a boat launch over there. You can go and put your boat in. Um, there's all kinds of interesting things. So you, there's, when you get away from the, um, from the main infrastructure, you go down into those, the, the nether regions of underneath the infrastructures. That's where it gets interesting. Finding people bow fishing in New Jersey under a bridge would blow my mind. Yeah. Wait, what, what kind of things do you find under there? Huge. Um, it must be nuts. Yeah, huge. Like, um, they'll catch uh, carp, and uh, it all depends what's running because they'll, I think the, um, the uh, bass come up there too, also because it's a hack and sack, so they'll spawn in there, and then it goes into those different little, little different. Like you'll see the tides come up, and then they drain. So it's a big estuary for, um, um, for you know, baby. Oh, so many frogs, tons of frogs there. All everything that just it's a great like ecosystem going on there. Um, but yeah, that's I mean all kinds of fish. But these guys will pull them out, and then there's like the uh, fishing game down there. So you run into fishing game police. And they're like, you know, we have to tell these people not to eat these because they're contaminated or they're not contaminated or, you know, it's uh, yeah, it's definitely interesting now. Yeah, you never really get to see underneath bridges. Yeah. Occasionally, but you, you, don't, you don't usually get there by accident, right? You have to decide you're going to go. Yeah, you definitely have to make, you have to make an effort to get there. But um, yeah, I told you at Newark Airport, there was the guy living behind like the crack and like the one bridge abutment. And they finally put like wire mesh in there and like screwed it shut. Was he? T- I'm assuming he was not trapped in there forever, like entombed. No, no, it was like it was it was like a perfect location. Like he could like come out and like slip into a terminal A there, or he could like walk like a quarter mile and be at the Seven Eleven. And we finally realized because we used to see this guy in Seven Eleven all the time, and he was obviously like not, um, not well. But um, finally, like we're working, we start like going to put these uh, chiller lines into like the main, uh, to the main parking lot in the front there, and we come up and we're having to like go through the underpass underneath. We start excavating. My buddy Jeff's like, he's like, he's like Nick. He's like, you know that guy that we see at Seven Eleven? I was like, yeah. He's like, I think he lives in there. I was like, nah, no way. They're like, yeah, go look. I was like, I'm not fucking going in there. Like, correctly, like, it's the last thing I'm doing is putting my head in a fucking <laughs> hole in the fucking side of a bridge, like at Newark Airport. Like, no, thank you. But sure as shit, like, yeah, finally, like the night shift was there. Um, like he was trying to go back in and like the poor authority police there, like nothing against them or anything, but like. These guys do fucking nothing all day except for like pull people over. If you got help, you get pulled over in Newark Airport, like on the loop or anything else. There will be like seven fucking police cars around you at once for no fucking reason. And there's just people like you can drive through Newark Airport and just stop in the middle of the fucking road and get out. They won't do anything to you. But if like you fucking do something to piss off the fucking cop over there, like you're screwed. But uh, ultimately, they're all they're all like pretty decent people. But. Yeah, so they finally locked the guy up, and then the next day they went over there and they put like this wire mesh over the front of it and screwed it in, and, and then we never saw the guy ever again. So I guess he finally got relocated. I get wow. Yeah, pre uh, pre COVID, there was a, a huge homeless population 
at Newark Airport. Like uh, all over the place, a lot of a lot of junkies sleeping in like the rental car uh, place because it was always open twenty four hours, um, that kind of thing. And then COVID happened, and we just like kind of got magically cleaned up after that. Like there was just nobody around, you know. So, <laughs> somebody living in, in in a crack in a bridge though is pretty intense. It's still it's so funny is because I'm driving through there like maybe two months ago, and I'm coming back through. I had to do um I had to put up like scanning targets for the company I work for now and they were running through there and scanning. So I had to go through all those areas again. And I'm like, Oh, one of the reasons why I got, uh, I, they told me about it. It's like, you're, you're so familiar with the area. I'm like, great. So I'm going, as I'm going, this is what happens to me every time we go to Newark airport. Now I through this like fucking trauma response of working at Newark airport through COVID and then going through a fucking divorce and being, <laughs> being like, like, Oh my God. It's like, you know, you're going back like through time again. So it's like, I see this crack and I'm like, oh, my God. I remember having the whole conversation with that guy and, and everything that was happening at the time. But it is um, it's funny. I see a lot of, you know, you see a lot of places and you remember a lot of times in your life. And, uh, you know, especially since I'm all over New Jersey, there's so many reminders everywhere of different things and associations with things. And the most Jersey thing about that story though, isn't the man living in a crack in the bridge. It's that four years later, you went back there <sighs> to look at something. The crack is still, there. it's still there. And what's crazy is they fucking fixed every fucking other thing around there. But like, that's part of the, um, part of the uh, terminal. That's going to eventually be, you know, demoed soon. So they probably just weren't worried about it, but <laughs> Might have a might have another opportunity to go back to Newark Airport and work again. There's going to be a lot of work there over the next thirty years. Should go back and take a picture of the crack. I definitely can. I'll show you. Like we can drive right. Like we can go right through. <laughs> I'll show you exactly where it is. But it, nobody's living in it anymore. So I guess they finally like. Uh-huh. You know, it was a good spot though. It was like primo airport territory there. Well, now we know. All we have to do is remove the wire mesh. If you're ever at Newark Airport and you're in a jam. <laughs> Just go. Uh, I'll put it on a Google map for you and then be listed on some sort of like terrorist list. <laughs> like if you go to this crack in the abutment, you can live in there rent free on long layovers. They probably rent it on Airbnb. You probably could. <laughs> so that was another strange thing. There was um, <laughs> and like you have a picture of it, like, and they tell you where to go and there's a screw gun. You can take the cage off and climb back in. And like, there's already there's already old sleeping bags packed in over there, and a possum that shares it with you at night, or door to door. Oh, possum, my possum. You're saying you had another story about uh, a weird? I don't even know what. A weird place to uh, to live. Where that somebody, yeah, that, that somebody was living. You know what? Another another big thing I saw was um, under regular. Uh, highway underpasses like um some people are so ingenious they'll put like they'll actually use like uh boards and go girder to girder or they'll find old lagging and they put it up there and like i've seen some pretty complex like under bridge um housing projects with like you know one person's really hooked up like kind of nice and that's when you get scared because you got to go there and like check shit out and you're like oh god like don't want to like run into the person and like you know it's like a whole thing but yeah, there's always there's people living in a lot of weird places. I guess you wouldn't think of like yeah, like the story about the bookstore. The guy living in the ceiling. Yes, yeah, that was a tr- <laughs> true story that happened to me. I worked at a bookstore where there was a man living in the ceiling. 
And this <laughs> sounds like the setup to a novel that someone's writing, but this is a true thing <laughs> that actually happened. And that was insane. He was living above the drop ceiling and he had a full setup, sleeping bag, lantern, books, <laughs> water, toothbrush, the whole thing. And I think he was living up there for a pretty significant period of time. That's nuts. Man. And we found them uh, just, like, just like in a Scooby-Doo episode. The way it was discovered was <laughs> when someone went to clean the bathroom and they saw two like sneaker prints on the toilet seat. And he was mystified by this and looked up and saw that there was like a crack in the drop ceiling that you could like put your hand through. And that's how it was discovered. Oh man. <laughs> no. Mystery solved. Mystery, yeah. And then we had to climb up there and similar to you, I didn't want to be the one to stick my head up there, but I stupidly was. And then that's when we found it. Yeah. They just hope they're not up there when you get there. That's all. Yeah. They were not up there when, when we got there. I mean, I was giving tours to people because I thought no one would believe the story. So I wanted to make sure as many <laughs> people as possible went up there and saw them. You just shouldn't have said anything and lived up there. True. For New York, it would be not a bad place to live for Manhattan. Yeah. What would that, what would it rent for now? I could only imagine. I don't know. They probably rented us a loft. <laughs> so it would probably be like $11,000 a month. And it actually would be like speakeasy loft, access only through drop ceiling in bookstore bathroom, super chic. Unlimited reading material. Unlimited books and, you know, uh, gym style uh, bathroom. Uh, this is this is probably going to have to be heavily edited tonight <laughs> for, for boredom's sake. <laughs> yeah, I think then we, we can we can wrap up the interview. But any any last words that you want to wrap up the, the true story of Nikki Bonaduce with? I don't know, but the, the true story of Nikki Bonaduce is probably one you would have to hear in person. So come on down to Asbury Park, come visit Nikki Bonaduce and his his new digs. Um, spring is coming, summer's coming. Um, stay close to the water. I know I will, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, my friends will actually come down and visit me because Mike D and Chris never fucking come down to visit me. Carson might come down. He might leave Newark to come visit me. I'll come. Yeah, I'm coming yeah, down. A, talk is talk is cheap, boys. Talk is cheap. I'm coming. All right, so come on down. You know how to get a hold of me, and uh, and uh, summer's going to be fun. Spring and summer are going to be fun, and even on like a warm winter day, it's beautiful at the beach. So it's the Jersey Shore. Yeah, Nothing better. Excellent. Thanks everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed this. Uh, sorry, thing. sorry for the sorry for the terrible stories. They're great stories. Good night. Good night. So long, farewell. Hey! Hey, everybody, how's it going? This is the voice of super producer and editor Carson, the Colonel, cop, here to wrap up the old episode for you. A trip through the mind of the man himself, Nikki Bonaduce, the people's champ, New Jersey, the one and only, the bridge builder, the connector, the concrete man. <laughs> Good times. Uh, that was a really fun one. I'm happy that uh, Mike D surprised us all with that one. It was an engrossing listen. I hope that you guys uh, felt the same way. I think everybody needs a lovable sweetheart in their life that takes no shit. It's a good. Uh, it's a good dichotomy to. Uh, it's a good uh, rail to grind. It's a good line to walk. And uh, not everybody can do it. But you know who can? Nikki Bonaduce. That's who. Anyway, you guys can check us out on Instagram at New Jersey is the world. You can check us out on the greater internet at New Jersey is the world.com. Or you can find us on Patreon.com. 
after searching for New Jersey is the world. Sorry, I'm looking at something out my window and not concentrating on what I'm supposed to be doing. Or you can find us wherever you find podcasts. Now, another important part of these closing messages that I delivered to you. New Jersey is the world is a participatory project, and we need your calls to riff on once a month for our very special episodes entitled The Garden State Gagoots, where all the hosts from all the shows on this lovely little network we got gather around the old digital campfire and comment on your feedback that you can leave by calling our Google Mail. Why can't I've been doing this for years? I can't say this. You can leave a message at our Google voicemail account by dialing 973-780-4660. Leave a message after the beep. Keep it under three minutes. Don't use any names. Don't use any addresses. Do not incriminate yourself. I swear, as I get older, remember, remember, hey, for everybody whose knees snap in the morning, (laughs) remember, remember when you didn't incriminate yourself? You did cool shit, and then you didn't snitch on yourself. Man, they got us coming and going, don't they? Anyway, (laughs) that's all for today. We'll see you guys later on in the week. Have a great week. Be kind to yourselves. Be kind to one another. If somebody falls down around you, help them out. Dust them off. And then keep it moving, baby. This is Jersey. We got our own battles to fight here. So, with that said, tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone you know that which we already know to be true, which is... Still figuring the the verbiage out here. New Jersey is the world. See you guys later this week. Bye.